This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book and we have now reached the letter B, the word bonds, in the series, The Form of Sound Words. I remind you that the Apostle, writing to Timothy, he said to him, Hold fast or possess a form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. And this series is canvassing the teaching of the Apostle to just see some of the outstanding words that are peculiar to his teaching that we ought to uh, understand, appreciate and use. Now the word bonds, of course, can have a good and uh, happy meaning or it can have one that has to do with what we call imprisonment and bondage. We keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The Apostle, while he fought for liberty, as you can see he did, he was glad to write. He was the bond servant of Jesus Christ. And in the last verses of the epistle to the Galatians, where he had already said, Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made you free, he was glad to say, I bear in my body the stigmata, the slave brands that show I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. So there is such a thing as acknowledging him as Lord and Master. Well, now we're taking rather a different line this time. You see, the word bond is immediately followed by the word Paul's prison ministry. Now, we must make sure that we understand what this means, because this is approaching very near to the heart of our own teaching. When we were looking last time, we had the word apostle in front of us. That's on the other side of this chart the Apostle. And we found that there were twelve Apostles. Judas had betrayed the Lord and was left. That left a gap. The Acts of the Apostles starts with Peter saying, we've got to make up the number. Must have twelve because they represented the twelve tribes of Israel. And as soon as that number was made up, Matthias was added, the Spirit of God descended, they were baptised with the Spirit, spoke in tongues, and the, new, the Acts of the Apostles started. And the dominant person in the first 12, say, chapters, somewhere around about there, of the Acts of the Apostles is Peter. It's Peter who stood up on the, uh, that day and said, men and brethren, this is fulfilling the prophet Joel. Or it was Peter who said to the man at the gate, oh, silver and gold have I none, but that which I have divided thee rise and walk. But there comes a moment when a new person comes into the story. Is the young man, comparatively young man named Saul, who afterwards was called Paul. And in Acts 13, we get his commission, and Peter practically goes out. He only comes once, just a moment or two, and gone. Now, one of the reasons why that's important to us is that we are Gentiles. Peter was a minister of the circumcision, the people of Israel. Paul was a minister to the heathen. Excuse me, that's you and me. Of course, we think about heathen as having black faces or yellow faces or pink faces or red. We're all heathen if we're not Jews, you see. So the Apostle Paul has a great claim upon us. But then you will find that Paul's ministry has to be carefully surveyed and divided. So I'm going to start with the reference to himself 
in the 20th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. You see, we are good way through the Acts of the Apostles now. He's already been a free man. In the 13th chapter, the Spirit of God separated him and said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, unto the work to which I've called them. And they started evangelizing, of course, the part of Asia Minor. And they came back to Jerusalem and told what was happening. Now a change is evidently coming. Uh, we'll pick up the story um, at verse 13 of Acts 20. And we went before to ship. Now they're, they're on a journey then. They're going to leave this place, wherever it might have been, and sailed unto Asos. There intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. Or oh, you say, what a tangle this is. Well, if you knew the geography, the same as you know the geography of your own country, you would find that on the sort of rounded edge of Asia Minor, there's a little piece sticks out, little promontory like that. And what the apostle did was, he said, now look, you go right round that bit by ship, and I'll walk right across there and meet you to the other side. You say, what a thing to do. No. He was a man like ourselves. And he said, if I don't get five minutes to myself, I shall go, what, crackers? Oh, yes, he knew all about that. So there's a little human element there. You look on the map for this, I can't stay on it. And when we, he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Miletus. So they took him on the ship. Now they go right the way around to the mouth of the river and Miletus is practically south end on sea as it's related to London. Right there. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus. He wasn't going right up to, to uh, Ephesus. He wasn't going right up to London. He was going to make those in London come down to south end to meet him. Have you got that in your mind? That's the geography. Because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus, that's on the coast, he said to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came unto Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's coming, don't you, if you've never read this before? You say, he's preparing them. He's about to tell them that he's going to leave them. You know what sort of man I've been? You know what sort of ministry I've given you? You know how I've taught you? You know how I've been seeking faithfully to discharge my responsibilities. So let him go on. Verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit, bound in the Spirit, before ever he had shackles on his wrists, before ever he had a door slammed in a prison, this man was the prisoner of the Lord. He said, I go bound in Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, Except I know this, that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me or wait for me. Glimpse at chapter 21, will you? Verse 10, And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. 
And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews of Jerusalem bind the man that owneth his girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And they tried to dissuade him, but they couldn't stop him. Oh, he says, I know this has got to be. So here he says, I'm facing bonds and afflictions. Now verse 24. But none of these things move me. Now that could be boasting in a wrong sense. But this man was not boasting in a wrong sense. He was trusting fully in the Lord. None of these things move me. Neither count on myself dear unto myself. Neither count on my life dear unto myself. So that I might finish my course with joy. Now it isn't everything we hope for that is fulfilled, is it? Would you like to be sure whether this man did finish his course with joy? I think you would, wouldn't you? Would you let me turn, if you don't want to turn it yourself, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. And just read what he says in the last epistle he wrote before he died. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course. See? He said in Acts 20, Oh, I hope I shall finish my course with joy. In the last letter he wrote before he died, he said, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. So here we are starting then, uh, uh, as it were, a new ministry. So we'll go on back to Acts 20. That I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. That's an end of one ministry and the beginning of another which is associated with prison. He was warned about it as we saw in Acts 21. We looked just now. And then if you'll turn over to the 26th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, you'll find he's there standing before his judges. He's now going to be sent to Rome to be judged by Nero. But he's given an opportunity to bear a witness before King Agrippa. Acts 26. And this is what he says. Describing his own conversion on the road to Damascus, he said, he heard a voice, and verse 15, I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now look at verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. The word both, warned you that there are two things in view. First of all, the Lord appeared unto Paul and said, you're a chosen vessel unto me to go to the Gentiles and the people of Israel and go on so far. Then he said, I will appear unto thee. I will appear unto thee in the future. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles. Well, there were no Gentiles for Paul to be delivered from when he was first converted, but it was entirely to do with the people of Israel. Now he's a prisoner in the hands of the Gentiles, delivering thee from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. 
So here, right near the end of the Apostles, I now send thee. Now some, if you're reading, you might find that some manuscripts omit the word now. But it makes no essential difference, because unto whom I am sending thee in the present tense is just the same as I am now sending thee, only the word now is emphatic. So whatever you do with it is now being sent. So we turn the page, chapter 28, to chapter 28. He's reached Rome now. And although he had longed to see the church at Rome and wrote to them about it, when he did get there, he called for the leaders of the Jews. 28, verse 17. And they said they hadn't heard very much about him, or what do you tell us? I'm skipping some of it, you see. Verse 21, And they said unto him, We neither receive letters out of Judea concerning thee, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spake any harm of thee, but we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest, for as concerning this sect, that's the way they spoke about Christian faith then, we know that everywhere it's spoken against. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him unto his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets from morning till evening. That's the Jewish people. The whole day of it. Some believed, some didn't. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah once more and says in verse 28, Be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And then we find him in verse 30, in his own hired house, verse 31, now compare verse 31 with verse 23, preaching the kingdom of God, teaching those things which concern Jesus, oh no, 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 teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ, you see the full title, he's not talking to Jews now, with all confidence, leaves out Moses and the prophets because he's teaching something that Moses and the prophets have never put down. And then the words, no man forbidding him, refers to the attitude of the children of Israel because writing in the Thessalonians, he said, these, these Jews, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved and filled up the wrath to its measure. Now they're gone. Only a few years after this, their city was destroyed, their temple burned, and they themselves are scattered people. And within our own lifetime, we have only seen them come back again at long last and claim to be a nation of Israel once more. Now what's going to take place in that interval? AD 70 is when Titus was there at Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, as the Lord said, destroy this temple, and it would take place. What took place to occupy that place in between AD 70 unto now? Well, that's practically what? 1900 years, isn't it? What was God going to do in the interval? Because all the way through the Bible, he was speaking about the children of Israel as the descendants and seed of Abraham. In thee and in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. Well, how can he be blessed with the people who are already scattered all over the earth? And God says he's washed his hands on them the time being. They are no army, not my people. Well, the answer is, God chose to put the Apostle Paul in prison for some reason, making a, a distinct mark, a difference, stopped his outside work, and there in that prison, he revealed to him a secret, 
And that secret is the character of the calling that is going out now. Oh, there's an outside witness like John 3.16, whosoever believeth hath everlasting life. But there's a secret part of God's purpose going on in spite of the fact that Israel failed. Well, I think it's time then that we turn to see how the Apostle has spoken of that. So we turn to the Epistle to the Ephesians, chapter 3. Ephesians, chapter 3. Now this is Paul the prisoner speaking. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. So he was in prison, not because he was a thief, or a lawbreaker, he was there for you Gentiles. And then he stops, because he's made a claim, hasn't he? He's claiming to have a special ministry as the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you. Oh, he said, if or since, or I hope, you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, Lord. Now, a dispensation is not merely a period of time, but it's a special stewardship. Someone picked out by God to do a certain work. He said, I hope you've heard that. How that by revelation? And more than once this man says, oh, I wasn't taught this by man. I didn't go up to Jerusalem to have their hands put upon my head. I turned and went into Arabia and there I was alone with God. He said to the Corinthians, he said, oh, some bring letters of commendation to you and some letters of commendation from you. But he said, who's going to give me a letter of commendation? Nobody could. He said, you are my letter. For you owe your salvation, humanly speaking, to my ministry. So he has a special ministry altogether. Different from Peter, different from James, different from John. Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, said that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Now this can be very much misunderstood. It doesn't mean something mysterious. It doesn't mean to say we're going to turn the lights out and have a dark spot in our meeting. No spookiness about it. It simply means a hidden part of God's purpose. Now, if you think to yourself that the Bible gives you an indication that there's an active spiritual enemy attacking the purpose of God, if God is wise, would he tell the enemy all the manoeuvres he's going to do straight off? Of course he wouldn't. So there's the mystery of his will, only revealed at the right time. Now the active enemy of God's truth knew this, that if he could stop the people of Israel, he could stop the purpose of God so far as he knew it. Well, he did. He brought about the absolute failure and collapse. So if the people of Israel were God's appointed channel, and he says, I'm going to stop that channel, well then it's all right. As long as that channel was stopped, he could retain his position here as the prince of this world and the god of this age. That's what he wants to do, to usurp Christ's position. But what he didn't know is this, that before the foundation of the world, before Abraham was here, God had chosen that a certain number of those among the Gentiles who should then be born should constitute the members of the body of Christ and be called under these terms and never put it in the Bible. I drew your attention just now in reading Acts 28 that when Paul was arguing with the Jew, he spoke about Jesus in Moses and the prophets. But when he was 
Continuing at the end of the Acts, he spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ and no reference to Moses and the prophets. Now, if you are acquainted with Paul's epistles, you know that you could keep on underlining in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Hebrews, underlining quotations from the Old Testament scriptures. Any amount of them, down the page, keep on quoting Isaiah and the Psalms and the Law of Moses and whatnot. Well, if you've never done it, go through Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Second Timothy. They are the epistles that were written as the prisoner. And I think, if you can stick it out, you'll manage to underline five possible references to the Old Testament in all those epistles. He's hardly ever referring now to a purpose that's already embedded in the book. He's referring to a purpose that was hid in the heart of God and only revealed when this time came. So now, I'll pick it up again, the reading here. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now the mystery of Christ is not exactly the same thing. In other ages, the mystery of Christ wasn't known so clearly as it is now, he goes on to say so, which in other ages were not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed. So the mystery of Christ starts with the first chapter of Genesis, in the beginning. The mystery of Christ is there where Adam was put off on the earth, for Christ is called the second man and the last Adam. The mystery of Christ is there in Genesis 3, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. All the mystery of Christ has been unfolding all the way through the ages and right through the Bible. But said Paul, I've got one bit of it that nobody else did. Now, he's referring to what is already written in Ephesians. what I wrote in a few words. So we do glimpse back to Ephesians <coughs> chapter 1. Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet. Now, you know, don't you, that that's a quotation from Psalm 8. In Psalm 8, he's speaking about Adam. Thou hast, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep, put oxen, cattle, birds, and whatnot. Sheep and oxen. But you don't find any sheep and oxen in this verse 22. What does he put here? Thou hast put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Why, it's principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. He says, that's what I'm telling you. You will not find in the whole of the range of the Bible that all things under his feet mean principality and power. All that you were told was the cattle and the beasts of the field. But you see, when it's a matter of the mystery of Christ, which in other ages were not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed, what he said, if I've got a knowledge of the mystery of Christ which excels anybody else, won't you believe that I've also got that which is attached to it, the mystery concerning himself and his church and their heavenly position so we get this emphasis here upon Paul, the prisoner. Well now, of course, we can't uh, in crowd into this one afternoon's meeting all that the dispensation of the mystery means. I'm taking one little bit at a time, stressing the idea that Paul, the prisoner, the man who was in bonds, was in that position, 
And we do well to remember that the prison ministry of the Apostle Paul is where you go if you want to find out what God's innermost purpose is at work today. All outside ministry may be going on. Churches have got their ordinances and their ordained priests and I don't know what. We're not bothering. We've got no concern. We don't say they're right or wrong. All we say is, here is a message which God has laid upon our heart to make known and here we stand. Well now, I think I'll have to leave that. We come back to it again in different parts. You see, there's other parts to be seen presently. And look at the question of what do you mean? Not only when you say the prison ministry of the Apostle Paul, but you speak of the prison epistles of the Apostle Paul. Well now, if anyone asks you, so I can tell you one then. As you say, I can tell you one that's marked with prison, and that's the Ephesians. We've just read it, haven't we? Shall we turn the page then and look and see whether Philippians is a prison epistle? He says in verse 13, chapter 1, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In the margin, Caesar's court. Here's the man in bondage, in Caesar's court. That's all he says, but it's good enough. Chapter 1 of Colossians, the next epistle. He says in verse 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. That's that peculiar title, the church. Whereof I am made a minister, according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you, not merely to fulfill, but to fill up. The same word comes in the next chapter, verse 10, ye are complete. Not fulfilled, you're complete. And that's the same thought here. To complete the word of God. So you see, it'll be a shock to some of God's people to tell them they haven't got a complete Bible. So what do you mean? Well, it's there, but you never read it. You never don't know it. I uh, spoke one day, there was uh, some of the Jehovah Witnesses came to my door and uh, they started, you know, giving me all that they learn off by heart. I said, here, wait a minute. I said, keep the book shut. Don't open the Bible. Now tell me in your own language the first few verses of the Epistle to the Ephesians. What's it about? Not the remotest knowledge in this world. They had an incomplete Bible. The prison ministry of the Apostle Paul didn't exist. They were only quoting things that belonged to the people of Israel and taking them to themselves. So you see, it's a challenge, isn't it? So we have Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians are prison epistles. There's a tiny little one, Philemon, that Paul wrote to one person, it's a a little gem of itself, and then the last one is 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. See? So now we can say this, that so far as we are concerned, we believe all Scripture, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God and profitable. It says so in this very Second Timothy. But also, Second Timothy says we must rightly divide the word of truth. So we don't try to fit ourselves into Genesis and then fit ourselves into Exodus and then fit ourselves into somewhere else. We say, oh no, we're only taking the calling that belongs to someone else and missing our own. 
So here's a calling that goes out to the poor, outcast, outside Gentile. If I quote from memory, instead of turning it, it's only to save time. He says, Wherefore remember that at that time ye were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Isn't that what you and I were? We didn't know it. God had never spoken to our fathers. He'd never given us promises. He never made covenants with our fathers. In fact, I don't know who my fathers were, do you? We only go back a few years and we are lost. We don't know where we come from. But if you were one of the children of Israel, you could go right back with your pedigree to Abraham. So, you see, we've been on to a different company. And while the, the covenant people of God are temporarily outside in their blindness, as they are, God has let, stretched out his hand to the poor outside Gentile and given him a place in Christ that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob had never heard about. We're not losing anything. We're gaining the more by just accepting this ordinance of God. Well now these four prison epistles, you notice at the bottom of this chart, I hope you can see them, right down the bottom, fall into two groups. And those groups are indicated by the key words of the epistles. If you read through Ephesians, you won't be able to escape the word mystery. We've read it ourselves. It comes quite a number of times. And you go on and you read that the church is the body and that Christ is the head. And then he is said to be the fullness and in him all fullness dwells. Well, when you go down to the epistle to the Colossians, you find that also stresses the word mystery. That also stresses that Paul, the prisoner, we read a part of it just now. It says the church is the body. It says Christ is the head and in him dwelleth all the fullness. So you see, we have two epistles which are stressing the foundation upon which this is built. But then we have two other epistles to make up the set. Now this is very, very salutary because if you're not careful, you'll emphasize so much the gift of God and you'll forget that if God gives you something, he expects you to use it. So that's the difference between what we call doctrine and practice. So now we have, in Philippians, Practice. The first verse doesn't say Paul's an apostle. It says Paul was a servant. And it emphasizes the sacrificial nature of service right the way through. Philippians says, work out your own salvation. Philippians says, it's not a works lest any man should boast. It's not a works as its origin. But Philippians says, if you never work it out, it's dead. So, there's the balancing effect of Philippians that comes along and says, now, you've been told in Ephesians of the hope of the calling, have you? Yes. You're to keep the one hope of your calling? Yes. Well, now I'll tell you something more. There's a prize of a high calling. Not merely a hope that God is giving you, but a prize that you might win or a prize that you might lose. So these differences begin to make the balancing teaching in these epistles. So we have prize. And if you've got good eyesight, you can see in those green letters two other words. Depart and offer. Now you say, I know what you're going to do. You're quoting those, yes. Paul writing to the Philippians, he said, if I were to have my own option, you see, he'd been battered about so much. Prison, shipwrecked, betrayed all oh, the things a man suffered and he said we are reckoned as the offscouring of all things to this day he said if I had my own option I would depart 
be with Christ, which is far better. But for your sakes, I'm going to stay here a bit longer. And then he says in the same Philippians, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice. Didn't everybody would be glad to be a sacrifice, is it? But he didn't mean to say he was going to be crucified or he was going to be put on an altar. But he said, that word offer there means to be poured out like that. The same as a saviour. It says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but poured himself out. The version made himself of no reputation. So here's the apostle saying, I'm quite willing to depart. I'm quite willing to be offered. So if you'll now look at 2 Timothy, which you may have opened in front of you still, you'll see he uses the same words again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered. Philippians says, If I be offered. He says, I'm now ready for it. Your friends, it's one thing to make a boast that you're ready for a thing, another thing to say, I welcome it when it comes. But he was facing it. I'm now ready to be offered. He had said, if I had my choice, I would depart. He said, the time of my departure has come. He said in Philippians, I'm not sure I'm going to win this prize. I'm sure of my salvation. But I'm running a race and I'm not sure. He said, I I am sure. I've touched the tape. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth a crown. The prize and the crown, of course, are only two ways of saying the same thing. So you see, by looking at these four prison epistles, we're not left without scripture, are we? Oh, what a wealth there is in these. And then, of course, we need all the rest of scripture when we read about Christ being uh, a sacrifice for sin. Well, what do we know about that unless we know all the Old Testament teaching? We couldn't dispense with Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastity of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we have healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. All that's still perfectly true. But you see, we've got a part of the Bible that belongs exclusively to this present period. So if you think about the running out of time, think of a long line starting from Genesis, going across until you get to that last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles when the Jew went. Then put a pair of brackets like that. Like that. Just like that. And we're living in that pair of brackets. And the movement of the nations, all this activity in the air, the fact that Israel are back in their land, all that is telling us that this we're getting very near the end of those brackets. And one day, this calling is going to finish. And it will join up where it left off, and God will pick up with his ancient people of Israel. The scripture says, They shall look upon him whom they pierced, that acknowledge their Messiah, which they don't know now, and this calling's over. Well, I'm not trying to make your flesh creep or anything. I'm only telling you that the sands of time are running out. So it's our business to try to make all men see what the peculiar character of this calling is. But we do not go to people and thrust it down them because this is a very sacred thing. The very first chapter of Ephesians says that those who belong to this company were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Well, that's long enough ago, isn't it? So if you believe this, God chose you before ever you were born. And all that we've ever done is to be brought into touch with you. And you say, my, I see it. People have come into this chapel and one person, you you said, you needn't tell him another single word. The penny's dropped. He's got it, right there. 
And another person knows all about the Bible, says, I don't see it, walks out. Well, the fact that he doesn't see it doesn't prove it isn't there. Any more than a blind man would prove there wasn't a picture hanging on the wall because he couldn't see it. So don't worry about that. But if you have the remotest feeling in your heart that this, why you say there's plenty here that I'm getting puzzled over it, but there's something here that I begin to see fits the time. I haven't got to be healed by people laying their hands upon me. I haven't got to observe all these different ordinances here, this and that and the other. Oh, that's something that's appealing to me. Say, well then, give us an opportunity to make it more and more true to you. Give us a chance so that we can go through this form of sound words. See, waiting for us, you see, is next time, the use of the word body as a type of the church. And then comes a very controversial uh, piece, the baptism, and all that sort of thing. So we leave it for the time being. We hope to meet on this tape recording for a number of sessions yet, and I trust that as we go through these features, seeking to build up a form of sound words which we've heard of the Apostle Paul, the wonderful calling that God has made known to us poor outcast Gentiles will seize our hearts and grip us in such a way that we should never be able to give it up or turn back. But we're not asking for anyone to become a member of anything. You can't join anything here if you want to. And blessed be God, you can't be turned out of anything because there's nothing to be turned out of. This is not our place of worship. This is a little chapel in the city of London. But our place of worship is where Christ sits at the right hand of God. And you can't gate crash there and you can't be turned out of there. Blessed be God. So we can end up where we started that all things are yours for yours are Christ's. You are Christ's and Christ is God's. We're not worthy of the least of his blessings. So if God comes out with hands full of spiritual blessings you never believed before and says, they're yours as a gift, we should be fools if we said, oh no, I'm not worthy of it. You're not worthy of the least. So if he gives you the best, take it and seek to go on honoring him by walking worthy of it.